Hello, and welcome to Bible Threads with me, Dr. Bruce Becker. The Bible can be intimidating, right? How do we make sense of it all? And what does it mean for our lives? I think the Bible is incredibly interconnected with threads that run through it from beginning to end. In this podcast, I will uncover these threads, help you dig deeper into God's truth, and inspire you to live your life with greater confidence and joy. Let me tell you a bit about myself. In my career, I've been a Mission Start pastor, a lead pastor, a national ministry coach, and for the last decade, I've had the privilege of serving on the Time of Grace team. Today we continue with our series that I've called The Grand Ands of the Bible. In this series, we are taking a look at important pairs of Bible words connected with the word and. In our last episode, we looked at Lord and Savior. For me, the big takeaway there was the Old Testament's usage of the two words for Lord, Adonai and Yahweh. Adonai emphasizes the absolute lordship of God, and Yahweh emphasizes the absolute faithfulness of God. I hope you benefited from it. Let me know if you did. The grand and that we are going to explore today is the phrase, faith and works. It's a Bible thread that has its roots in the Old Testament, with dual emphases in the New Testament. Today we are looking at an apparent contradiction in the Bible when it comes to faith and works. Now, you did hear me say apparent, correct? By the end of our show today, I I hope you'll agree with me that it only seems to be a contradiction. It is not one. The apparent contradiction comes when we compare the words of the Apostle Paul, that amazing New Testament missionary, with the words of the Apostle James. Uh, By the way, James was Jesus' brother, technically his half-brother, and the leader of the early Christian church in Jerusalem. He was also martyred because he was a follower of Jesus. Let's start with Paul's letters to both the Galatians and to the Romans. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul writes, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Okay, First of all, we have a Bible word that needs a little explanation. It's the word justified. Paul says that we may be justified by faith in Christ. To better understand this word, let's picture a courtroom in session. In the courtroom is a person who is guilty of a crime. All the evidence points to his guilt. But the judge declares the guilty person to be not guilty and free to go. That's what the word justified means, to be declared not guilty, or, to put it positively, to be declared right or righteous. More about the word righteous in just a bit. So Paul is saying that we are declared not guilty by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, 
because by the works of the law, no one will be declared not guilty. God declares us not guilty of any wrongdoing because of what Jesus accomplished with his life and death and resurrection. So we are justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. To understand the context for Paul writing these words, let me share a little background for the Christians living in Galatia. Galatia was a region in Asia Minor, present-day country of Turkey. When Paul visited the Galatians, he taught them about God's free and faithful grace. He taught them that Jesus forgives sin completely. He told them that God's people no longer needed to follow the Old Testament laws and rituals and sacrifices because Jesus fulfilled them with his own perfect life and his sacrifice on the cross. The problem that developed in the Galatian church was that there were Jewish religious leaders who urged the Galatian Christians to believe in Jesus and also keep all the Old Testament laws and ceremonies. <laughs> we certainly wouldn't call this a grand end of the Bible. Not at all. The Jewish religious leaders essentially created a hybrid religion. What they suggested totally undermined the true gospel. So when Paul says, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, he was emphasizing that our being declared not guilty of sin is due entirely to the work of Jesus and not because of anything we do. Again, we are justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he said much the same thing. In chapter 3, he wrote, There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. A few verses later, he sums it up again. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So do you see the thread here between what Paul told the Galatian Christians and, and what he told the Roman Christians? Then in the next chapter of Romans, chapter 4, we come to find out that being justified by faith isn't something that only occurred in the New Testament after the time of Jesus. No, this Bible thread goes all the way back to the days of Abraham, who lived 2,000 years before Jesus. For many of the Jews living in Jesus in Paul's day, they viewed Abraham as being a person who was favored by God because of, a, uh, because of his obedience to God. Have you ever had a similar thought, thinking that God favors those who obey him? In Romans chapter 4, Paul corrects that misunderstanding. Abraham wasn't enjoying God's favor because of anything he himself did. It was because of Abraham's faith in the promises of God. In Genesis chapter 15, God appeared to Abraham in a vision with a promise that Abraham and his wife Sarah would have a son. Now, this wasn't the first time that God made this promise to Abraham. The first time was recorded in Genesis chapter 12 and then repeated again in chapter 13. And this also wouldn't be the last time that God made this promise. We can understand why Abraham had some questions about this promise. You see, Abraham was getting really old. 
and his wife wasn't able to get pregnant. And they were going to have a kid? Really? So Abraham asked God if maybe, just maybe, his head servant should become his heir. His name was Eliezer. To that question, God responded, Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, then he, God, said to him, So shall your offspring be. Now, listen to what is said next. This is important. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Okay, time out. Here's two other Bible words that need a little explanation. The word credited and the word righteousness. Credited. Think of a spiritual bank account. Spiritually, we are bankrupt. There is nothing in the account. In fact, we've racked up a ton of debt caused by our weaknesses and our failures. But when we believe that Jesus forgives us for everything we've failed to do right and for all that we've done wrong, God credits our account with righteousness because of Jesus. Jesus' righteousness gets deposited into our account. And God does that because he loves us. Now, a simple way to think about the word righteousness is that we're good with God. We're right with him. Certainly not because we've lived holy and perfect lives, but because Jesus did. And when we believe what Jesus has done for us, God credits that to us and restores a right relationship with us. Does that make sense? So let's listen to how the Apostle Paul describes Abraham's relationship to God as well as our own relationship with God, because they're essentially the same. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, imagine that, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him and who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So you see, the Apostle Paul makes it clear that we are justified, in other words, declared not guilty, that we are right with God through faith and not because of anything we have done. That's what the Apostle says about faith and works. Let's hear what the Apostle James has to say about this grand and. From chapter 2 of his letter. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, 
If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And then near the end of this chapter, James sums up his main point. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Paul says, by faith alone. James says, not by faith alone. So who's right? Paul or James? They both are. And you know why? Context. Remember the issue Paul was dealing with? The false teachers who said that they were saved or justified before God, at least in part by what we do, by our keeping of God's law? James is dealing with a totally different issue in the letter he wrote. And so a little background will help. James began his letter by addressing his audience as the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. These were Jewish Christians who were living outside of Judea and Galilee. And then in chapter 2, he described his audience as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. So the people to whom this letter is intended are already followers of Jesus. James's letter is somewhat unique among the New Testament letters. In it, James doesn't spend time talking about how God saved us through Jesus. In fact, the name of Jesus Christ is only mentioned twice, and only in the greetings. James' letter focuses almost entirely on Christian living. One of the recurring themes in this letter is what real faith looks like. I really like what Pastor Mark Jeske, the former lead speaker for Time of Grace, wrote in his commentary on James. Pastor Jeske wrote in his introduction about James's letter, quote, It is a vigorous attack on phony faith. Phony faith is that which exists in the head and mouth only, and not in the heart and hands. James hated the notion of cheap grace, low expectations, careless living, merely theoretical Christianity. He wanted real faith for real life. Unquote. James was addressing people who thought that, as long as they believed that Jesus was their Savior, that they could live their lives any way that they wanted. They thought that they could have faith without any good works or deeds. But that's not real faith. It's phony faith. The example that James gives to illustrate what real faith is not is quite striking. He says, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food, and all you do is say to them, well, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? That's not what real faith is all about. Faith is always followed by works or deeds. You know, a few minutes ago, we talked about Abraham's faith being credited to him as righteousness. But Abraham's faith was also followed by works. And we learn all about that in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, 
Abraham made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Just as the Apostle Paul, in speaking about faith, traced a thread back to Abraham, so James also followed a thread back to Abraham in speaking about Abraham's deeds. This is what he said in chapter 2. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is a God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. Okay, let's see if we can summarize what Paul and James were each addressing. The Apostle Paul was addressing legalism. People who said that one had to follow the law in order to get right with God. James was confronting the idea of having a license not to love God and people. Legalism and lovelessness are in reality two sides of the same coin. They both are contrary to the gospel, and they both undermine our faith. So I have a question for you. Which side of the coin are you most prone to focus on? Legalism? Thinking that you have to do something in order to win God's favor? Or a lovelessness? Thinking that as long as you believe in Jesus, you don't have to concern yourself with doing good and being good. Martin Luther, one of the great 16th century reformers, illustrated the challenge that we Christians have in regards to either legalism or lovelessness. Luther said that the Christian church is like a drunken peasant. Now, there's a picture. It keeps climbing on a donkey, falling off on one side, climbing back on the donkey only to fall off the other side. He said that the church is falling into legalism or into lovelessness all the time. We are either straying into a kind of pharisaical religiosity on the one hand, or being loveless and worldly on the other hand. Neither are in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Another illustration of this comes from a man by the name of Tertullian, a prolific Christian author and polemicist who lived four decades on each side of the year 200 AD. Although I've never been able to find the original quote, I've heard Tim Keller refer to it. Tertullian is quoted as saying, Just as Christ was crucified between two thieves, so the gospel is crucified between two thieves, the thieves of license on one hand and legalism on the other. Paul, in Galatians and Romans, addresses the thief of legalism. James addresses the thief of having a license not to love. You know, since I mentioned Martin Luther, did you know that Luther in his early days as a reformer had doubts about James's letter? This is what he said. St. James' epistle, or letter, is really an epistle of straw, for it has nothing of the nature of the gospel about it. This statement was written in the preface to the German New Testament that Luther had translated. This was in the year 1522. However, Luther took this statement out in later editions of his German Bible because it seems that he changed his early views on the value of James's letter. Luther's observation about James's letter having nothing of the nature of the gospel about it has some truth to it. I get it. But I would say that James's letter doesn't have explicit gospel, but rather it is filled with implicit gospel. Explicit gospel is obvious and overt, like, you know, John 3.16. Implicit gospel is implied and understood. The audience James was writing to, remember, knew the gospel already. They were followers of Jesus. So I have an exercise for you to prove me right or wrong. Read through James's letter and highlight all of the verses that have implicit gospel. I'll give you a hint. There are many. Faith and works. Which one do you think is more important? I hope that you can see that they both are. I like how C.S. Lewis explained this. He said, Regarding the debate about faith and works, it's like asking which blade in a pair of scissors is most important. I like that. But I like what the Apostle Paul said even better in Ephesians chapter 2. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, we often just quote verses 8 and 9 on being saved through faith, but we can't forget about verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Here's our takeaway for today. When it comes to faith, it works. Faith and works always go together. You can't have one without the other. Faith and works, it's one of the grand ands of the Bible. If you would like to get some additional perspective on the relationship of faith and works, I'd, I'd like to recommend a video devotional series entitled, How Faith Works. 
It's available on the YouVersion Bible app. Just search for How Faith Works. And while you're there, check out the hundreds of other print and video devotions from Time of Grace. Thanks for listening. Join me next time for another show from our Bible Thread series entitled, The Grand Ands of the Bible. God bless.